Thanks, Clark Man. How's everyone doing this morning? Great. Great. Oh, okay. All right. We can work with that. Um, I just want to mention something real quick. Well, first of all, I'm Steve. You guys have never uh, met me before. I'm one of the leaders here, and I'll be hanging out in the cafe also afterwards. So come and uh, meet somebody new if you haven't. And um, I want to reiterate something that Clark was talking about. He was talking about Kalahari Retreat. And um, some of you guys might not know this or remember, but um, when we first started our campus, me and my wife helped lead student ministries here. And it was a really great time. But uh, I remember going to the Kalahari Retreat with my wife, and it is an amazing time. So if you're on the fence about that or um, whatever, I would say really check it out, go to our website, see what it's all about. Um, it'll be worth the time and money investment. And also, there's like thousands of kids that go there. And so it's not just our church, or it's, it's multiple churches. And so you have thousands of kids in uh, this Kalahari <laughs> retreat park. And so pray for those leaders, okay, because that is intense and, and tiring. But it is good work. And so I um, just want to encourage you again to check out Kalahari retreat. Uh, well, hey, uh, to get us uh, started this morning, um, I thought I'd bring my family along with me. And uh, for those of you who don't know me, uh, this is my crew. And uh, this is what happens when you try to take a selfie of a uh, family of five. It, it, like, never works out too much. Uh, that, that's me, if you couldn't tell. Um, this is my daughter, Isley. She's one. Um, Emery, you can't really see. He's four. That's like, I don't know. He just does his own thing. And then uh, my beautiful wife, Maggie. And then Isaiah, he is so cute and so crazy. And so that's, that's my boy there. And, uh, you know, just, you just keep trying to take that picture, and it just never works out. And then all of a sudden, everyone starts crying and screaming, and then that's just what happens. So there we go. <laughs> Uh, that's what happens, but you know, uh, there's my family, and so if you see us around, come and say hi. That'd be awesome. Well, I'm really excited about this morning because we are uh, wrapping up a series that we've been calling Unleashed, okay? So the series called Unleashed, and so if you've been with us for the last few weeks, several weeks, we've been going through this series, we've been saying some different things and saying, okay, how does God want to unleash his power in us, through us, to the world? And so I want to ask that question again for us this morning to think about that and say, do you know and do you believe that God does want to unleash his power in your life, through your life, and in the world? Do you know that? Do you believe that? And so I understand some people um, might be here this morning and maybe... Um, you're just investigating Jesus, or you're new to this whole uh, Jesus thing, and you're looking at that statement, and you're like, I, I really don't know. I've never thought about that. I'm not really sure where I land with that kind of stuff. And I would just say, um, stay tuned, tune in on um, this conversation, and we're going to learn some really cool stuff about this. But for those of us who have been following Jesus for maybe a while, um, maybe you're looking at that and being like, yeah, I can, I can get on that. I can, this statement sounds good. Like, yeah, God wants to unleash his power in my life, through my life, into the world. But maybe you're like, well, how does that happen, though? How does that happen practically? And so that's what I hope to get down to the bottom to uh, this morning as we finish up this series on Unleashed. So to help us do that, um, I'm, I'm like a kind of a Bible nerd, and I like going back to the Old Testament all the time. I just can't help it. But what you see in Genesis 12, we'll put it up here in a second, Genesis 12 talks about how God tells Abram um, to how, how this kind of plays out for him in his life. And so let's check it out. God says, now the, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God's like, go away from your comfort of your family, your home, to a place that God's going to show you. And it says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. So God's like, I'm going to bless you, but it's not just for you to be blessed. It's for you to be a blessing. So I will bless those who bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. 
and in you all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. So blessings. God's like, I'm going to bless you, not just for you to have these blessings, but to be a blessing to the nations, to the people around you, to the surrounding cultures that you find yourself in, and you will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. And so nations there, it's not really talking about countries or continents like that. It's talking about people groups. It's talking about the culture that we live in, that we find ourselves in. So I think the biggest way that God wants to unleash his power in your life, through your life, and in the world is through and into the culture. Okay, so let me define culture real quick for us. Culture is this. This is my um, Gary Bashirs. He's a professor of mine at, at my, the seminary that I go to. And he describes it this way. He says, culture is the beliefs, customs, attitudes, practices, social behaviors, and ways of understanding and communicating, including language of a particular nation or people. This network of ideas and values forms the social environment within which each individual lives, behaves, and relates. Okay, so what's culture? Basically, culture is everything that people do that make up who they are from the language that we speak, from the food that we eat, from the how we parent our kids, things like that, culture. So to put our statement another way, we could say this. How is God unleashing his power in your life, through your life, and into the culture? So more than just the world, think about our surrounding culture that we find ourselves in today, in Medina, Ohio, or wherever you're at. And so this is definitely um, not a, uh, a new question or a concept. It has always been a big deal for God and his people, just as we saw for Abram, to be a blessing to the nations. But let's kind of move forward into the story of the Bible and see some different responses from God's people to their culture. So like, how did the, old, how did the people in the Old Testament respond to their culture? How did the people in the New Testament respond to their culture? How can we respond to our culture today? So that's where we're going to go. So first, let's go, go to Israel, Israel's response to culture. Um, what ended up being their typical response to the cultures around them? Well, in an extreme sense, it was that of compromise. Their, their response to the culture was that of compromise. And so to kind of clarify what I'm talking about there, we'll go to Judges and look at one of many examples where Judges 8, verse 33 to 34 says, no sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Barret as their god and did not remember the Lord their god who had rescued them from the hands of their enemies on every side. So what's it saying here? When, when a king died, they, they didn't have a leader. They um, instead gave themselves to the gods of their culture instead of the god that they once followed. And so they compromised allegiance to God by giving into and adopting the God or gods of their surrounding culture. And that's pretty strong language that God is using here. And in fact, it's language that God has used multiple times before to describe the unfortunate um, response of his people towards the relationship that they once had with God. And so how heartbreaking is that, that Israel, a people that had all these signs and miraculous things that God literally did in their sight, but yet they forgot. <laughs> they did not remember the Lord, their God. They forgot. Compromise. And so as it turns out, compromise, it's not just unique to Israel. We can easily like go through passages like this and be like, how do they forget? Like God did these all awesome things. 
Well, it plays out in our lives too. For those of us that are followers of Jesus, um, those of us that call ourselves Christians today, um, we often can compromise or give into the culture as well. And so some things, by the way, I'm not saying that like, don't hear me saying like all of culture is bad, okay? Uh, we'll talk about that response a little bit later. But some things are good, like, uh, I don't know, essential oils. Let's go there, okay? Anybody? Um, my wife coerced me into liking them, and I, and I love it. So you, uh, you, do, you have the thing, you put the water in, you drop the whatever, and it smells great, all right? Anybody else? Am I the only one? All right. Couple, all right, thank you. There's a little pity, pity for me. There you go. Um, how about Pokemon Go? Anybody? Just, just my kids? Not me, okay? My kids. Pokemon Go. Like, culture loves that stuff or whatever. So you, you get what I'm talking about. All culture is not bad. It's not what I'm saying, okay? And th- but there's actually a term um, called the cultural Christian. Has anybody heard that term before, the cultural Christian? Basically, it means it's someone who is, like, cool with Jesus on the stuff that they agree with and whenever it makes sense culturally, but evades allegiance to Jesus if what Jesus teaches is against, against the cultural norm. So it's like, I can get down on what Jesus says and the things I agree with, and when it agrees with the culture today, but when it's about things that I don't agree with or that the culture would do differently, then I take that side instead. So, for example, to pick on me for a second, like whenever I go out with uh, like previous coworkers or, or friends that maybe don't know Jesus like I do, um, I usually have a ton of internal choices and decisions to make. Do I have more than just one drink? just because that's what my friends are doing? Do I try to fit in and compromise my thoughts, my values, because of what's going on around me? Or when others talk about the waitress a certain way or make fun of their wives, do I join in on that kind of stuff? Or do I stand firm on those things? Things like if I ever have to give my view based on the Bible, (laughs) um, would they think differently than me if I said something that was contradictory to the culture today? Do I compromise? Are these things just social constructs, or does God actually have a better way for us to experience? So that's, a, that's compromise. That's one way that we see the Israelites compromise and ways that we can find ourselves compromising as well to the culture. Now let's fast forward and go to the New Testament a little bit and talk about the Jewish leaders and their response to the culture. And so some of these Jewish leaders, uh, we'll, we'll pick on the Pharisees, for example. Um, we'll, we'll go there. And so the Pharisees, when you look at them, how did they respond to their culture? Was it that of compromise? No, I think it was the opposite extreme. I think it was more about resistance, resistance to the culture. And so some of those Jewish leaders, they were called Pharisees, like I said, and basically they would teach that you don't hang out with or mix with the unclean, unholy, sick, disgusting, unreligious people that don't follow God. That's what they would say. Say, if you want to be holy, if you want to maintain holiness, then you don't hang out with those people. You stay away from the bad people that do bad things that don't know God. And so they would resist the culture in that way. And again, I think Christians do this today as well. And perhaps this is why I think Christianity is more uh, known for the things that we're against than the things that we are for. And that's that resistance to culture piece. And so I think about uh, a friend of mine when I was younger, uh, he lived with his uncle in Texas for a while, and I just remember, so I, I didn't grow up in the church, and so um, Christianity wasn't, I didn't really know anything about Jesus or God or anything like that, and um, my brother didn't, or my friend didn't really either. 
And so when he moved to Texas with his, uh, his uh, preacher cousin, or uncle, um, all of a sudden, he wasn't allowed to do some things that we always did, right? All of a sudden, the Sony PlayStation was like the work of the devil. And like Harry Potter was like, you're following Satan. <laughs> and I, I just, that didn't resonate. I was like, I, what kind of world is that? Like, to me, not growing up in the church, I couldn't, I, I didn't understand that at all. All I knew was that my friend was interacting with this Christian man who said that these things you resist, these things are bad. You can't get involved with that. You can't get mixed up with that stuff. And so um, other examples for followers of Jesus today, um, sometimes we just like, we only want Christian friends. We'll only have Christian friends. We'll only listen to Christian music, okay, which I'll give you my opinion on that later at another time. But um, some Christians fight about happy holiday versus Merry Christmas. And it's like, man, we're forfeiting a relationship that we can have with someone while trying to force someone to believe in something that they don't probably believe. So we resist the culture. So those are opposite extremes, and thankfully, they're just not consistent with Jesus' teachings. And so that will become very clear to us as we see Jesus teaching in the temple and in the synagogue and to the crowds. So here's where we're going to go. We're going to go to Matthew 5 and check this out. So we're going to see how I think Jesus wants us to respond um, to our culture, for those of us who are followers of Christ. So if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one underneath your chair, a black Bible, and it's in page 677. And if you don't have a Bible, just take that one home. Um, you can also download numerous apps that have the Bible as well. However you want to get there, get to Matthew 5. We'll be planted there. And as you're turning there, let me get some context for us, okay, some background, because um, but just before that, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is teaching in the temples and in the synagogues, and he's healing unholy, unclean, sick, and diseased people, and they're coming to the temples and to the synagogues to get healing from him and to hear his teachings. And he's teaching and being in proximity with the people that a Jewish leader would never be mixed up with. And so Jesus is like doing the things that normal Jewish leaders wouldn't do, being around the people they wouldn't be around. And then in the beginning of Matthew 5, as the disciples are huddled up next to Jesus on a mountain and the crowds are nearby listening, Jesus enters into the famous Sermon on the Mount and the thing that we call the Beatitudes, and he says, blessed are these people. He says, blessed are who? The righteous, rule-following God lovers? No, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the ones not close to God, the cultural outcasts, the ones not like you or me. And so this was different teaching from the original Jewish teachers there. And so after all these blessings, Jesus says to his disciples, and for those of us who follow Jesus today, he says this in Matthew 5, verse 13 to 16. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So that's it right there. Jesus wants his people to be Salt, to be light to the world, to our culture. Not compromising by fully giving in to the culture, nor fully resisting everything about our culture either. Instead, being influencers of our culture by way of being salt and being light. 
Okay, so now let's break it down and see what, what is salt and what is light. And some of this you guys probably already know, and that's fine, but let's, let's just go over it anyways. What does salt do? Well, there's a few things we can look at. Salt, it provides flavor, right? I pretty much probably use salt every day on everything. Maybe not everything, but, you know, you want to you season things. You want to pull the flavor out of stuff, and so you salt things. So it provides flavor. Number two, it keeps things from going bad. So probably more in the Near East time where they actually would use salt as what we would use for refrigeration today. They use it as a preservative, and so it would keep things from going bad. And number three, salt makes people thirsty. If you eat a lot of salt, I don't know why you would just eat a lot of salt, but if, if you eat something with a lot of salt, you're going to get thirsty. And so salt makes us thirsty. Okay, so not record-breaking stuff here. Like, we, we get this. This is what salt does. So what's Jesus saying? When he says, be the salt, be the light, and if that's what salt does, then what does that mean for us? Well, if salt does this, then we can say this. Ready? If salt provides flavor then we're to bring flavor wherever we go. Which, I know that sounds weird. You're like, do I just bring like, salt with me wherever I go? I don't, like, what do you mean? Like, I just bring flavor? I don't understand. <laughs> I think to help us out, uh, Colossians says it really well. In Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 through 6, it says this, Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. And so the question is, how are people that are not like you or doesn't, don't have the same beliefs in you, are they interested in what you have to say? Do you bring flavor to the conversation? Do you, or, or are you leaving a bad taste in people's um, minds or mouths when you have a conversation with people? Is it leaving a good taste or a bad taste? Are we bringing flavor to the conversation, to the people that we're interacting with? Number two. If salt keeps things from going bad, then Christ followers are to keep the culture from going bad. Keep the culture from going bad. So, the question here is, how are followers of Jesus helping and influencing our culture with blessings and helpful preservation of what Jesus claims to be good or with compromise? See, God wants his people to show culture a better way to live and experience Jesus to the fullest. And then three here, if salt makes people thirsty, then we are to live to point people to Jesus. See, do people look at you the way that you live your life and want to know more about why you do this or why you don't do that? Is it pointing to Jesus? Is it making people thirsty to hear more about the word of God and what he has to say? Is it making people thirsty? Okay, so if that's salt, let's look at light. I think light's pretty self-explanatory, like, um, why do we have light? So we can see, right? Um, I, I turn my headlights on when I'm driving in the dark so that I can see the road and I don't crash into people. Like, that's easy. We can get on that, right? I, I really like the way God says it. Obviously, he's God. <laughs> but um, in Isaiah, it says this, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, it's like the same thing God's been saying all along. I'm like, be a blessing to the nations. I'm going to make you a light for the nations. To do what? To open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And so that's what light does. Brings people out of darkness, out of captivity and blindness, those addicted and whatever the situation is, brings out of 
darkness. It reveals truth and reality, exposing lies and exposing false realities. It brings clarity. Okay, so there's a problem, though. So if that's salt and that's light, Jesus also kind of talks about a problem here. So let's go back to that salt part. Jesus is saying, you are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. I just imagine Jesus being funny here because I'm like, it's either salt or it's not. It doesn't like lose its saltiness. And so I think the problem, I think we can um, say it this way. I think the problem today is that so many Christians can become salty instead of being the salt. You guys know what I mean by that? Salty? Yeah, okay. We're, we're hip on the term. All right, good. Um, like, for, like the, the first time I heard this term, no shame, I'm a gamer, okay? If you haven't told, be able to figure that out by now. But I've always heard this term in the gaming world. And it's like, for some reason, people just want to win. I mean, I get it. Like, I want to win at stuff too. But when people lose, you just see people being so salty, right? And so mad. Like, what does it mean? It means that you're basically, um, you're so upset about something that maybe you shouldn't be really so upset about. Like, it doesn't really matter. Like, if you win or lose, it's a video game, whatever. But you see people being so salty about that. Or maybe you're salty at me for using more video game analogies, and you're like, I don't know what you're talking about, man. That kind of stuff, right? Well, anyways, this was my view of Christianity um, up until about seven years ago when I came to know Jesus. I thought that Christians were just mad at anyone or that anyone that wasn't like them, right? You got tattoos, mad. <laughs> you got piercings, mad. You live with your girlfriend, real mad. You're cursing, real mad, right? That kind of stuff. I'm like, man, I can't relate. <laughs> There's so much resistance here and so much salty attitude here. Now, don't hear me wrong. There are things that Jesus wants us to help preserve, but Jesus is saying, be a blessing. Let your speech be seasoned with salt. Let your lives lived out in such a way that someone who doesn't know Jesus actually finds Jesus attractive actually finds the church attractive. Don't be salty if someone who doesn't know Jesus doesn't act like they know Jesus because they don't know Jesus. And so I, I just see this happen all the time where it's like, man, we, we can't put people on the same um, set of standards that we have. If they don't know. They don't know or have a relationship with Jesus. So if you still don't understand what I'm saying, and this is just an excuse to use a meme, so here we go. This is what I mean, ready? Look at that face. And then, <laughs> when you told them to be the salty of the earth, but they choose to be salty to everyone on earth instead. That's what I'm talking about, right? This whole, this whole talk can be summed up right here, all right? And then, um, this one's for fun. So, so Lot turned to his wife and said, why are you so salty, fam? All right? Okay. So only the Bible nerds are like, I know what that's saying. That's funny. There you go. That's for free. You're welcome. All right, moving on then. <laughs> Instead of being salty, called to be the salt of the world, right? Okay, so there's a problem with light. Check this out. You are the light of the world, okay? And Jesus says this, a city set on a hill can't be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. It's like, well, yeah, okay. So I'm guessing Jesus is referring to Jerusalem. It's a city that they would have known, and it's actually built on a hill. And so I imagine at nighttime, when there's, the city's lit up, like, you're going to see that from far away because it's elevated. It's on a hill. And so, like, well, yeah, you can't hide that. <laughs> Jesus is like, right, you are the light. You can't hide that. You are the light. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. He's saying, man, if you are the light, then be the light. Don't try to hide that. Don't keep that secret. It can't be hidden. You either are the light or you're not. 
And so if sometimes followers of Jesus can become salty instead of the salt, then I also think that followers of Jesus can become spotlights instead of the light. Spotlights instead of the light. What do I mean? Well, do, do you and do I focus in on someone's sin and look to expose what's wrong with them at any chance I get? Or am I looking, actively seeking ways to be a blessing to other people, even if I don't agree with what they're doing? Am I being a spotlight or am I being a light? So we have to ask ourselves this. What's the deeper motivation for you and, um, to be who you are and how you are? To tell everyone what they're doing wrong and to let them know that there's a better, or, or to let them know that there's a better way that they can experience through Jesus. Instead, I love this part, instead, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. Man, instead, let yourselves be the light instead of the spotlight. All right, so let me, let me close off with this here. Um, I hope this passage is already uh, generating some challenges for you as it is for me and it has been for me and some takeaways. But if not, let me provide you with two questions. And they're kind of awkward, I'll explain it, like, much like everything else I say. But uh, here we go, you ready? How will y'all scatter? That's salt language. Or how will y'all gather? And that's light language. So what, what do I mean here? Okay, let me try to explain this. Um, the reason I put y'all isn't to be funny. Actually, I don't think I ever use that word in real life, um, that y'all language. I don't really care for it. But if, you, and if I can geek out for a second here, if you, if you go back to the original language, to the Greek, okay, and if you look at verses 13 and 14 where it says, you will be the salt, you are the light, it actually in the Greek is you all. It's plural. You all, not just you. Now, so why is that important? Well, it's important because you and I, we can easily read this passage and say, well, oh yeah, I am, I am the salt, I am the light, you are the salt, you are the light, when in reality it's saying, no, you all. So we don't individualize it. It's, it's all hands on deck. <laughs> it's not just the person who's really good at being salt or the person who's paid to be the light. It's you all. It's the whole church. It's the entire life group. It's the entire community and believers that follow Jesus. So you all are to be the light. You all are to be the salt. And so that's why that's important. It's not just individualized. It's everybody that follows Jesus. We do this together. You all. All right. So how will y'all gather? Let's talk about that for a second. How will y'all gather? Um, I think we have to ask ourselves this question, all of us who call Medina our home, who are disciples of Jesus, and we have to say, man, this is the local expression of the church right here in Medina. And if that's true... Is this a place welcoming for and inviting to those that don't know Jesus? For those that are, as God through Isaiah put it, blind in darkness and chained with sin, with addiction and idolatry and whatever else is going on. Is this a place that gathers for others? Is it a place that's a light for a community? And so followers of Jesus, they're meant to be the light together. We need each other. And if we try to go off and be in light on our own, then we're just not as powerful but we're powerful together. And so kind of analogy to use uh, in conjunction with this, um, I've been flying in planes more than ever recently in the last year or so, and um, I, I love sitting next to the window. Anybody else? Window seat person? Okay. So I like sitting next to the window because I like taking pictures of the clouds, okay, which sounds really weird when I say that out loud. It's for my kids, right? I like to take video and picture of the clouds and show it to my kids. They love it, right? Um, 
And so that's fun. But at nighttime, when you look out the window, you see, like, you don't think anything of it. You just see individual lights every once in a while here and there. But when you see a bunch of lights together, that really gets your attention. That's really attractive. And you look out there and you're like, man, what is that city? That's got to be a city. What is that? There's all these lights together. And you're just focusing on that more so than you were the individual lights that you saw. And so for our church and for our life groups, is it the same way? Is it a light, a place of light as we gather that other people are looking in and saying, man, what's going on there? I want to know more about that. How are we gathering together? Is it a place of hope for people that don't know Jesus? Is it a place for hope for our culture? Is it a light to the world? And so that's, that's something that we need to think through. Uh, as, as we're life group leaders or partaking in life group, how are we doing that together? Okay, now this next part, how will you all scatter, okay, being salt language, how are we going to scatter? And now for this part, I want you to picture a pretzel, okay? Hold on, we'll get there, right? Think of a pretzel and Annie's or whatever else. Anybody else like pretzels? Like the, the most amazing salty thing you'll ever have? Okay, pretzels. So pretzel, it's awesome. Um, but now look at this pretzel, Okay. Um, this infuriates me. Anybody else? Okay. <laughs> Do you know why this infuriates me? Anybody? Yeah, because all the salt's right there, right? I'm like, dude, if you don't get anything out of this message, just know this. I want my, my pretzels fully salted, okay? That, that's what I'm getting at. But it's like you look at this and you're like, you got to spread that salt out. Like, it, okay, it's fine. You, you might take a bite of that and it'll make you real thirsty and maybe not in a good way. But I'm just like, you got to spread that out. I want my whole pretzel salted, okay? Someone actually came up to me last service, and they're like, I wrote it down. You want your whole pretzel salted? I'm like, thanks, man. So there you go. Um, what am I saying here? It's the same for the church, same for our life groups. We need to spread that out, okay? We need to be the salt to our community, to our neighbors, and we need to do that together, and we need to spread it outside of the church and outside of the group, impacting lives and people in our community, being the salt to the world, not just being salty at the world or at our culture, at whatever, but going out and being the salt. And so how are we making people thirsty for the gospel, thirsty to hear the good news of Jesus, to want to come back and gather? How are we doing that? How are we doing that in our life groups, in our, in our workplace, in our family room, wherever we find ourselves? How are we gathering to be the light and scattering to be the salt of the world? All right. Well, I'm going to invite the band up at this time, and I just want to finish off and say, man, if, if you're here today and all this sounds kind of like um, insider conversation, it, it kind of was. <laughs> Jesus was sitting here and talking to those that he called his disciples. However, the crowds were listening in and curious about what they thought, about what Jesus had to say. The crowds were there. They were listening in and curious about, I'm curious about what those people thought, the crowds. Were they thirsty for more? Do they want to learn more about what Jesus was saying? Like, oh, wait, Christians are supposed to be the salt and the light of the world? I want to know more about that. So my prayer is that you would be thirsty for more, to experience a relationship with Jesus through his word, through his church, through his small groups, through his people. Are you thirsty for more? So that's my prayer. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, God, for your word, and um, that it is good. And God, it's challenging and encouraging all at the same time. God, you've been saying the same thing throughout your entire, entire word, throughout your entire Bible. God, from being a blessing to all nations to being the salt and light to all nations, to all people, 
to our culture, to be influencers in our culture. God, I, I just pray that we don't compromise our um, allegiance to you, God, for what's going on in the culture. But I also pray that we don't fully resist either, but that we can be, if we're followers of Jesus here, that we can be um, an influence in our culture, to love your people, to be a blessing like you've called us to be, to be that thing that is a, uh, <laughs> um, bringing flavor and preservation and making people thirsty for more, for more of who you are, Jesus. And so for anybody hearing this today, and maybe this is a new thought or a new concept, God, would you put it on their heart to be thirsty for more, to check out a life group, to read the word for the first time, to grab someone and say, hey, I want to learn more about that. So God, would you work in our hearts this week and and this week as we go about our lives, um, as we watch our kids, as we go to work, as we go to school, whatever the things we're doing, God, help us to see in how we can be the salt, instead of being salty all the time, and be the light instead of being a spotlight. God, would you do that in our hearts? For this in Jesus' name, amen.